from Jonah chapter 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the Sam of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and he went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots, that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. Occupation, and where do you come from? What is your country, and of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea, that the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the raging sea, and the sea seized from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. This is the word of the Lord. Some of you may recognize the name Mortimer Adler. He was an author, a philosopher. Uh, he wrote a book once on how to read a book, and uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a good book. But he, um, he was at a tea party once, and he got upset, and he stormed out. And um, somebody who tried to break the tension said, well, he's gone. To which the hostess replied, no, he's not. That's a closet. Well, sometimes we think we're going one place and we wind up uh, somewhere else. That's kind of what Jonah experienced in his attempt to flee from the presence of the Lord. Uh, we're going to see, begin to see that this morning uh, from Jonah chapter 1. Pastor Mike has graciously given me the opportunity to preach once a month over the next three months, this being the, the first of those opportunities. And what we're going to be doing is we're going to be working our way through the book of Jonah. Uh, it's four chapters, uh, but I'm only going to do three sermons, so you're all going to have to listen well, all right, and make sure we get, get through them all. Today, we're looking at the first chapter, which we just heard read, and um, we're going to look at what we see there under three heads. First of all, a compassionate 
call. We're going to see the call from God to Jonah was a compassionate call. Secondly, a foolish flight. That's Jonah's attempt to flee from the presence of the Lord. And then thirdly, and and this is really the bulk of the chapter, uh, and that is a powerful pursuit. The Lord pursued Jonah. Uh, The Lord always gets his man or woman, as the case may be. But before we look at each of these in turn, let's go to the Lord again in prayer. Would you bow with me? Our great and gracious God and Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this opportunity once again to to be with one another, to raise our voices and lift our hearts to you in praise and worship and adoration, and to receive from you, Lord, by your Spirit through your Word. Father, we thank you for this book that is indeed a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. And Father, we pray that you would help us this morning as we look into this first chapter of Jonah to to see not only Jonah, but see ourselves, to see your will for our lives. And we pray, Father, that your spirit would indeed give us wisdom, give us insight. And Lord, we pray that he would do a work in us, uh, whatever is needed, that we may uh, be built up, that we may be encouraged, that we may be comforted as needed, that we may be convicted if necessary. So, Lord, we give you ourselves and we give you this time. In Jesus' name, amen. First of all, why do I say a compassionate call? Because Nineveh, to which Jonah was tasked to go and, and preach against the evil in that city, was, was the, Nineveh was the capital of Assyria, which was the reigning world power at that time. And it was not a very godly place at all. I mean, they had their gods, but not the God. It was a wicked place. It was a place known for ruthlessness, especially against their enemies. And yet, while God could have just wiped them out, he could have just destroyed them, he gave them a chance. Because he sent Jonah, or he called Jonah to go to Nineveh to cry against, to call against the wickedness of that city in the prospect of them hearing and repenting, which, when we get to chapter 3, we'll see they did. They did indeed. So it was a compassionate call. And what we see is that this is just in line with God's nature, with God's character. God is a God of mercy and grace. We see again and again in Scripture that God's nature is to be merciful. In Ezekiel 18.23, we read this, Have I any pleasure in the death of the wicked, declares the Lord God, and not rather that he should turn from his way and live? Or Isaiah chapter 55, verses 6 and 7, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. I wonder if you need to hear that word today. That God is a God of mercy and grace. That wherever you are, 
in your life and relationship to God. There is compassion with God. And even if you have found yourself slipping into some sin or if you've been running from the Lord, there is grace, there is mercy to return to him. All of us know this. If we are believers in Christ, we know that we were in a place where we needed mercy. The Apostle Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 2 these words, familiar words. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. In other words, destined, deserving of God's judgment. Aren't you glad it didn't stop there? But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even while we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you've been saved through faith. And that is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God sent Jonah, or called Jonah, to go to Nineveh, which he eventually will do after a little uh, disciplining. Because God is a God of mercy. It was a compassionate call. And we are called to be like God. We are called to be merciful as well. Bible teacher Stephen Olford told the story about a man named Peter Miller, who was a Baptist pastor back during the time of the American Revolution. Miller lived in Pennsylvania, and one of his closest friends was George Washington. Washington, of course, was a general of the Continental Army. But in the town where Miller lived, there was also another man named Michael Whitman, who was an enemy of Miller. He hated him and did all that he could to cause him trouble. But then one day, Whitman was arrested and accused with treason. And he was planned to be hanged. He was going to be executed. When Miller heard about that, even though Whitman was his enemy, he walked 70 miles in order to try to get his life spared. And he approached General Washington and, and said, you need to spare his life. He said, no, I'm, I'm sorry, uh, I cannot spare the life of your friend. He said, friend, he's my bitterest enemy. And Washington was taken aback and said, you walked all this way to spare the life of an enemy? Well, then I need to spare I need to spare his life. That day, Miller and Whitman became no longer enemies, but friends. That's what God has done. He has taken those of us who were once enemies, and at the cross, he has provided for us to become friends. All of us was once separated from God because of our sin. 
the call to repent is a call of compassion. Do any of us need to repent today? We often do, don't we? Unless we think about some that we maybe think aren't deserving of God's compassion and grace. Listen to this quote from Russell Moore. Russell Moore, who was formerly the uh, head of the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission of the SBC, and now is the editor at uh, Christianity Today. Here's what Russell Moore once wrote. The next Billy Graham might be drunk right now. The next Jonathan Edwards might be the man driving in front of you with the Darwin Fish bumper decal. The next Charles Wesley might currently be a misogynistic, profanity-spewing hip-hop artist. The next Charles Spurgeon might be managing an abortion clinic today. The next Mother Teresa might be a heroin-addicted porn star this week. The next Augustine of Hippo might be a sexually promiscuous cult member right now, just like, come to think of it, the first Augustine of Hippo was. But the Spirit of God can turn all that around and seem to delight to do so. The new birth doesn't just transform lives, creating repentance and faith. It also provides new leadership to the church and fulfills Jesus' promise to gift his church with everything needed for her onward march through space and time. God had compassion on Nineveh, just as he had compassion on us. And he called Jonah to go and preach repentance. But we see that was not in Jonah's heart, was it? So we see Jonah's flight from God, from the presence of God, what I call his foolish flight. I read recently about a man, an Italian man named Giacomo Gamino. Um, he was on the run for two decades from the Italian authorities because he had been involved with the Sicilian mobs, the Sicilian mafia. You know, you can't trust those Sicilians. I say that because my wife is half Sicilian. But anyway, um, he had been convicted of murder and been in prison, and he escaped. But eventually, he was caught. He was arrested in Spain, hundreds of miles away. How did he get caught? Google Maps. Specifically, Google Street View. Somebody happened to see a picture on Facebook from Google Street View, and they recognized this man who was a fugitive. And the authorities went there, confirmed that it was him, and they arrested him. And he said, how did you find me? I haven't even talked to my family in 10 years. Well, you can't hide from Google Street View. If you can't hide from Google Street View, what chance do you have hiding from God? Jonah should have known better, right? I mean, didn't Jonah know what the Lord gave us through David's pen in Psalm 139? Familiar verses, right? Verses 7 through 12. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol... Behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. 
If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. Jonah foolishly sought to flee from the presence of God, which was impossible to do. It still is. It's easy for us to think back and think, what a foolish thing to do. That Jonah thought he could hide from God. But think about it. When we choose to reject God's will for ourselves, whether in an isolated act of giving in to a temptation, or in a persistent avoidance of some calling in our lives, are we not effectively doing the same thing? I mean, when we choose to reject the counsel of the Spirit and do what we know is wrong, isn't there a sense in which we're hoping God won't know? That God won't see? That we can hide from God? Or when the voice of the Spirit persistently speaks to us about some calling, something that we really think maybe we ought to be doing. Witnessing to a neighbor. Going on a neighborhood monthly walk. to Meet neighbors. Meet strangers. Attending prayer meeting on a regular basis. And we persistently avoid it. Are we not seeking to hide from God's call? In our lives. Lloyd John Ogilvie wrote this in the communicator's commentary. Most of us have our own Nineveh and Tarshish. One is the city of faithfulness and obedience. The other is a place of escape and equivocation. Also, whatever or whomever our judgments have focused on as our enemy can be our Nineveh. Nineveh can simply be the Lord's urging that we change our behavior to do some obedient action that demands more than we are ready to give. Whatever else, Nineveh is a call of God sounding in our hearts to put him first, to be his person, and accept our vocation to be his servants in mission. I want to read that last statement again. Whatever else, Nineveh is the call of God sounding in our hearts to put him first, to be his person, and accept our vocation to be servants in his mission. Is there a Nineveh in your life that you've been avoiding? That you've been running from? Something that the Lord has put on your heart, either that you need to give up or that you need to pursue. Some act of obedience. For me, for many years, it was preaching. It was being a preacher. I couldn't speak in front of other people. I was too shy. And after all, we already had one preacher in the family. My older brother's a preacher. God didn't need me to do that. I ran from that for years. Is there something you're running from? What a foolish flight it can be to try to run from God. The last point, the last thing we see really takes up the bulk of the chapter is what I call a powerful pursuit. The Lord didn't give up on Jonah. Not only was Nineveh going to hear a call to repentance, Jonah was going to give it. Jonah was going to deliver it. 
So, we read that the Lord sent a storm. He hurled a storm, just like later Jonah was hurled out of the ship, right? I mean, we're not just talking about dumped over the side. We're talking about thrown out. Well, the, the storm was hurled. The wind was hurled against the ship that Jonah was on. Jonah's sinful disobedience didn't just affect him. You need to think about that, too. We often think, if I do this or if I don't do this, it's just me. It's never just you. It's never just us. Others are affected as well. And so the Lord hurls this wind, this storm, this tempest. And it's interesting, some of the things that we see about these sailors. First of all, this was a long trip, a long journey from Joppa to Tarshish, which most commentators believe was in Spain. All right? We're talking about thousands of miles. These would have been seasoned seamen. They wouldn't have entrusted this kind of trip to novices. So it's not like these guys didn't know what they were doing. And yet, they were terrified when this storm came up. I mean, it was more than they can handle. That gives you an idea of, of how insistent the Lord was to get Jonah's attention. We also see that they were religious. Each one of them cried out to his God. They were polytheists. That is, they, they had a number of gods. Now, they had the right idea. It was just the wrong God or gods that they were crying out to. They also had some wisdom. They believed, they, they had a sense that this was happening because of somebody in the ship. And so they, they thought about, the captain thought about this guy who had come on board in Joppa. And they found him sleeping. Woke him up, said, cry out to your God. Maybe he'll have pity on us. Maybe he can do something. And then when they questioned Jonah, well, they, they, they cast lots and found out, yes, he's the culprit. He's the reason for this storm. Then they began to question him about who he was. And they found out that, as Jonah said, I serve the Lord, Yahweh, the, the God of heaven, the maker of the sea and of the land. And suddenly, I mean, they were really scared. They were more scared about that than they were about the storm. Notice also, they were more merciful toward Jonah than Jonah was toward them. Jonah didn't really care about necessarily what, what might happen to others in his disobedience. But even after Jonah said, all right, I'm the problem, throw me over, the sea will be calm, what did they do? They tried not to do that. They tried to roll harder, but without any success. They didn't want to do that. And when they finally came to the realization they had to, they asked the Lord, Yahweh, to be merciful on them, not to hold this against them, because they, they had come to believe in him, at least to a point. 
that he was the God of heaven, the God of the sea and the land, that he was responsible for this. And then after they throw Jonah overboard and the sea calms down, they offered sacrifices or a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. Now, we're not told what the vows are, so we don't know, was this just a one-time thing where they were grateful, and so this, this is a God that they want to appease, and they want to, to be on his good side, or was this genuine conversion experience for them? We don't know. We're not told. But at least we see that they acknowledged who the Lord was, that he was in control. These are some pretty positive things about these pagan sailors. About the only positive thing we can say about Jonah is that he admitted he was the problem. And he counseled them to throw him overboard, which ultimately they did. <clears throat> what we see here as I already mentioned, is that God was determined not only to give Nineveh an opportunity to repent, but not to give up on Jonah. Jonah needed to be the one. Jonah needed to learn some lessons, not only about God's presence and God's power, but also about God's mercy. Because Jonah was not a merciful man. Jonah was not a compassionate person toward others. What is it maybe that God is convicting you about? Is there anything? What is it perhaps that you've been avoiding? Is there a person in your life that God desires to show compassion to? Needs to hear the gospel from you, but you've been avoiding telling them about that maybe it's somebody who's hurt you and you'd rather not rather them not really be shown mercy perhaps the lord is teaching you something maybe the lord's teaching me something i already indicated that for years i ran from the call to preach to be a pastor my goal my desire was to be a, a naval officer. So I went to the Naval Academy, and I was miserable. It became clear to me that that was not God's purpose and plan for me. And so I realized while I, while I was at the academy that, that God's will for me was some kind of ministry, but still, I couldn't see myself as a preacher. So I went to a Christian college with the intention of pursuing some kind of, of ministry Everything except pastoring. Everything except preaching. Because that was not, that was obviously not my calling. It's not my gifting. There was no way God was calling me to do that. Well, while I was at college, I had the opportunity to um, get some tools, some training for ministry. After which, I, when I graduated, I taught school in a Christian school. I taught Bible in a Christian school, and I realized I loved it. I love teaching the Bible. I thought, well, maybe I'll go to seminary and get a PhD and be a, a Bible teacher in college or seminary. 
But then, in the process of trying to decide where I was going to go to seminary, the Lord led me to um, upstate New York for a year where I served in ministry. And there I saw two things. I saw pastors who taught the Bible to their church, to their members. And I realized that that's, that's a pastor's calling, that preaching should be teaching. It should be teaching people, building people up through primarily expository preaching of God's Word, teaching God's Word. And the Lord began to work on me. And I began to wonder, does God really want me to be a preacher, a pastor? So I went to seminary to study to be a pastor. And the Lord led me to pastor, to be a pastor teacher for more than 37 years. Now, I don't share that because my example or my story is a template or an example for you. But it is a reminder that God doesn't give up on us. The Lord is faithful. He's faithful to lead us as long as we will be open to him and his will for our lives. And I just want to say, you know, it's okay to feel weak and inadequate and scared. Just don't say, I'll never do that. I'll never do that. We don't know what God may be leading us to do. We need to step out, hear God's call to us, and obey. Trust Him that our adequacy is in Him. Step out in faithful obedience to the Lord's call, even if it's warily and somewhat reluctantly. Step out, one step at a time. Don't be like Jonah. Don't make it where it's hard on you to follow God's call. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you again for your grace and mercy. We thank you, Lord, for your example through Jonah's life. Not only of your care for Jonah, your patience and persistence with him, your mercy in his life, but also, Lord, your compassion for the Ninevites, a truly wicked people. Lord, may we learn, may we be reminded that you did not send Jesus to die for the righteous, but for sinners. For those who, like us, were enemies because of our rebellion against you and against your will. Lord, I pray for each of us that we would not only receive mercy, but that we would learn even more to grant it to others. Maybe even be conduits of it. We pray this in Jesus' name.